1: If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, a.k.a. that hat I always wear, go to our website, is.com For a little bit of context, we just wanted you to know that a lot of these were recorded before quarantine. And as we know, a lot has changed in 2020. So again, please stay safe out there. And enjoy the new episodes of And The Writer Is. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. We're excited to highlight and introduce one of the industry's most promising artists. And today's guest has been racking up hundreds of millions of streams. He is the next up in a world of, quote, bedroom pop stars with a few platinum plaques in tow. This do-it-yourself artist managed to maintain control of his copyrights while still procuring a record deal with the biggest label in the business. Without further ado, let's get to know this guest all the way in Brooklyn via Zoom. Well, actually, I think it's LA via Zoom. And the writer is Jeremy Zucker. Thanks Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So wait, are you in... uh You're usually in Brooklyn, but you're in L.A. right now. Is that what's going on?
2: That's correct. Yeah.
1: What are you doing in L.A.? It's
2: kind of a good question. Um, I normally work pretty much alone out of my studio in Brooklyn. um, And every once in a while it gets like really stuffy and I need to just like get out and work with people. So like half the time out here, I'm just sort of enjoying the weather as New York starts to get sort of shitty, but also like seeing a couple of friends and working with a couple people. Yeah.
1: Um, so yeah. Let's, let's sort of start from the beginning. Um, it's, you know, you're, you're young, so it won't be too long of a story to, to how, at least how it started, you know, but you're, you're from yeah. New Jersey. Yeah.
2: I'm from New Jersey. Yeah.
1: Cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, who are your parents?
2: <laughs> My dad is a lawyer and they actually both just retired um but yeah my dad's a lawyer and my mom was a guidance counselor and they both actually just moved to South Jersey after they retired but I grew up in like a very normal um like upper middle class suburb in North Jersey and it was very preppy very conforming so I feel like I sort of had music my whole life as like a an escape or like a way to like, cause I always, I always felt different than everyone, you know? I didn't feel like I was gonna, I was the kid like playing football or lacrosse, um, that was gonna go and like be in finance or whatever the hell, like most of the kids I grew up with are doing. Um, so yeah, that was sort of like my mindset growing up was like, I, I feel lucky cause I had like a lot of friends and, um, you know, like I wasn't like an outcast in school, but I did like deep down always sort of just feel different. And music was sort of always there for me in my personal life.
1: What music did your parents listen to? What music did you listen to growing up?
2: Um, growing up, I have such a fond memory of like pool parties and Counting Crows. Um, C- counting Crows is like my mom's favorite band. Uh, so I grew up a lot on that. Um, my dad was very into Van Morrison. I heard a lot of that around the house growing up. Um, yeah, it was like a pretty, it was like mostly pop music that I was hearing growing up. Um, I think that's sort of what like developed my pop sensibility. But as I got into middle school, um, I have two older brothers and they were listening to like my chemical romance, blink 182. Um, All of those like pop punk things coming out like what mid-2000s or yeah and so that like that's when I sort of like found my own listening experience and like stopped listening to like what I was just hearing and I like I remember the first artist that I truly liked and truly did a deep dive into every song was Blink-182 like I was going back into their live albums and stuff um I think I was downloading songs on on (laughs) LimeWire I just like clicked every single one that I saw at the time
1: um did you like how did you get into the actually making music um I mean when was your honestly? First what was your first
2: experiment? my first so my parents like made me take <laughs> i say made me take piano lessons when I was like five or six years old, and I hated it and so I stuck with it for like three or four years until I really started listening to Blink One Eighty Two and like all these pop punk bands, and I was like, I want to play guitar because I want to I want to learn how to play these songs, and so let me do that. And I stopped doing piano and I started doing guitar. And I, like as soon as I started like learning Blink One Eighty Two songs on the guitar, I was like, I can I can write these. It's just like power chords C G A F, and I like probably just stole. The chords. Actually, the first song that I wrote. Do you know the song "The General"? Sure. Dun, 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 dun. I like took that whole chord progression, just stole it, and then like wrote a completely different song. And it was about like I like I wanted to teacher with my family, and my brother was like really afraid of of the heights. And so I wrote the song of my brother being afraid of heights. And I was in fifth grade. That was like the first time I wrote a song.
1: How did this um, How did this melody go?
2: <laughs> I'm not gonna. am not gonna sing the word because I don't because it exists online and I I don't think I can get, take it down. So I'm not gonna say like the the word of the chorus, but I'll sing the melody, I guess. Okay. So like the chords are the the progression is like this is gonna sound horrible, but just to so get it in your mind, I know you'll be able to hear it. Like You know that's like the general. But the the melody is like, it was really catchy. It was like really catchy at the time for like a fifth grader.
1: Yeah. I mean, did you go to school and play for people? I mean, were you already wanting to share it with people? Did your family, were they like, hey, good job? Or were they like, oh my God, you're like a world-class talent?
2: So like they didn't they didn't know until I played it with my two friends at our fifth grade talent show, and it was it was me and my two best friends at the time, and our it was I was playing guitar and singing, my other friend was playing guitar and singing, and our other friend was playing drums and there was no kick pedal on the drum, so he was literally kicking it with his foot like we had no idea how to play instruments. <laughs> I
1: was thinking he's like 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 a marching band. <laughs>
2: Literally, like, it was on the ground. He was just kicking it with his foot, and it sounded horrible. But um, the song, like, came through. You know, we, we for sure sounded like kids, like, <laughs> trying to play music. But the song came through, and my parents were, I think, really, really surprised. I mean, my mom was so surprised she, like, put it on YouTube and told, <laughs> told all her friends about it. But, um, yeah, like, that's when my parents say that they knew that I could write
1: so that's I mean that's fifth grade. You still had a lot of time ahead of you. How do you develop between fifth grade and the end of let's say high school? I mean, when do you start joining a band? When do you start playing? Do you do you ever play at rival you know high schools or parties or anything like that? Or was it all just I'm going to write at home in my bedroom?
2: It was a healthy mix of both. Uh, and there were some periods where I wasn't doing anything on my own and I was only playing in bands. And there were some periods where I wasn't doing anything with anyone and I was just like in my own room like making stuff. Um but middle school hit and I met um one of my best friends now at Temple. I'm Jewish. We met at like Hebrew school and he came up to me one day, he was like, Hey, you're Jeremy, right? Like I guess I don't know if I was like releasing music. I think I made a I've made a song with like my classmates in sixth grade about our like math teacher and we showed it to her in class and we thought it was like the funniest thing ever. And like I was on Garage Band recording everyone. Um and like I like (laughs) arranged the song. And I guess my this kid heard about it, his name's Danny. And he was like, You're Jeremy, right? Like you guys you and and Brett and Evan, like you guys made this song for Miss Rogers. and i was like yeah he's like dude like i really want to make music like we should make music i was like sure i had him over um and so at, at the time i was like i actually this is this is crazy do you know um i don't even know how to say his last name jeremy disoay like kinetics uh-huh do you know kinetics in one love yeah sure of course like tim yeah morning. um so actually my friend's Brett and Evan, who I was like doing this super early, like horrible <laughs> music with, um, they like were huge fans of Connects With One Love and they showed me their stuff and they were like, these guys make music on GarageBand. Like, we have GarageBand. We can do this if we want to. And that was sort of like the moment when it clicked in my head when I was like, I guess you don't need a record dealer. You don't need a fancy studio. You just need a laptop and GarageBand. And so I took that mindset and I started making music and or trying to make music and like putting together loops and i got like a little midi keyboard and this is literally middle school and um so my friend danny came over and we're just messing around a garage band and we write a song i think it's called broken and it was super catchy just like out of nowhere and we like showed it to all of our friends at school and the, the girls like loved it and we were like let's do this so we started like a little group made a Facebook page and just started making a bunch of songs. And that was like the first time I felt like I was an artist sort of, and it was for sure really bad. And people definitely made fun of us. Um, we did this in middle where, school, where but are like those
1: people who made fun of you.
2: So we did this all in middle school and nobody really knew. And then when we got to high school, it was like residual and, and I don't know, like people weren't like mean to us. They were just like, Haha, like, this is the name of, it was called like flow beats was our thing mm-hmm. and they were like haha flow beats and it was like a stupid name but um, yeah i don't know so so during that phase like i was also like playing with bands with playing in bands with random kids in middle school and like every year doing this like battle of the bands thing um, so i was like simultaneously figuring out how to make music on a computer while like playing covers in bands and I didn't start like writing songs with a band until high school. Um, and that was a really interesting experience. Cause like we, I would go in with this other kid, Nate, and he was also like a writer, but also wanted to play covers. So we were like doing some covers and doing some writing together. And I really just like let him take the lead. Mm-hmm. And cause I, I like had no experience like writing with another person. So and And the band was cool we had it was like it was like Dave Matthews inspired a little bit, sort of like acoustic rock vibes and I don't know we I was in this band for like maybe two or three years, and we like won our school talent show and we were like really excited and it was a lot of fun and towards the end of it, I was like really trying to like push the direction of the band like writing wise I was like, I had it in my head who we are and I was like. I would go on my computer and like produce out a song. Like I would write a song by myself, produce it out and make it sound like a band and bring it to the band and be like, let's learn this song. And then we would play it. And then I did that a couple of times before I realized like, why am I doing all of this myself and then taking it to a band to like learn it where we're not going to be able to play it as good as it sounds in the recording. Mm -hmm. Why am I in a band? And that was like the first realization I had where I was like, I don't really need to be
1: like your friends
2: working with anyone.
1: You guys were in that band, you know, you grew, you like grew up with those guys, you know, was it a weird thing to be like, Hey, I'm going to go and do some music solo.
2: Um, No, not really. So like, it's, it's really interesting. It's like, I, I view like musically I had like two sort of lives one was this like revolving door. One was this revolving door of live music, which was like, um, you know, like the the I guess the two kids I like played with in fifth grade, uh, and then that morphed into like a handful of other kids in middle school, and that morphed into a handful of other kids in high school. And completely separate from that was my friend Danny, and then in high school it was my friends Danny and Ben, and that was like the electronic music side of things where i was like on my laptop producing and in the middle of it all is me like on my computer like figuring out what i want to do when i want to do it and yeah so this band like i I realized that that it wasn't really my thing um but at the same time it was we were already sort of like falling apart like one of the kids was a year older and he was going to graduate um And so, yeah, it just, like, naturally fell apart. So I didn't ever have to be, like, ever have to be, like, yo, I'm doing this on my own. So it worked out in that way. But at the same time, like, so that was one side, like, this revolving door of, like, bandmates and bands. And the other side is, like, my friend, my friend Danny, like, really pushing me into, like, make music on the computer and, like, make beats and stuff. And his friend at the time, Ben who I then became good friends with um, was rapping and they were just like, yeah, Yo, like you're so sick. You're so good. Like, like make music. Like, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you messing around with these bands? Like make beats for us? Like let's have fun. And that was like, they really pushed me to like try to be a producer. And um, Danny in high school became vine famous. He was doing like really short, like six second raps. And, I was like helping him out and producing songs for him and like really taking that seriously. And I was also producing songs for Ben. This is towards the end of high school. And I like just didn't, I like wasn't even thinking about like my expression. I was just like, how can we make this song as dope as it can be? Let's do this. And then towards the end of high school, they were, they pushed me again and they were like, you know, why aren't you like making stuff for yourself? I was like, like i don't know and at the end of high school um i had like a really intense relationship that um like followed through into my college years and i i went to school in colorado so i basically flew from new jersey to colorado and um yeah so this relationship carried over and it was like a classic long distance um like slowly getting messier and messier until it falls apart high school to college relationship like so many kids are going through that i'm sure and that breakup like in like struck a chord in me <laughs> that was a horrible pun i'm sorry <laughs> um but like but it, did. it made it yeah so it like that was the first time that like i felt like a real like hole inside me that i needed to like face and deal with because it like it was my first year in college i was like in this completely new environment and i had this like i don't want to say trauma but like intense like pain you know and i had no way to deal with it except for writing music um and that was when sort of like all of the stars aligned for me internally because i had eight plus years of songwriting experience and i had played with bands i have like decent production chops for my friends like pushing me to do that and I was in college like sort of alone I had friends but like I had no friends to do music with so I was just in my room in my dorm room on my computer like expressing myself and like feeling this very very personal relationship to like the music that I was making and it felt very me and that was the first time that I released music under my name. And that was on SoundCloud.
1: You said earlier when you were talking about your friends were, you know, accountants and working in all these other things, but you went to school for pre-med. It's not like you went to school to be a musician. You know, some part of you was questioning whether or not you could do that as a career, even though that's what you were doing in high school. Why did you choose to study something other than music? And what was it like to be doing music while studying something like pre-med?
2: Every part of me was questioning whether I could do music as a career. And is that the only that, time I really...
1: You know, was that? like, was that a cultural thing? Is that, do, do you question, you know, I grew up in a similar sounding family of sorts. Um, I studied music, but I studied music business. Because you grew up in a culture that, you know, where your dad's a lawyer and you're, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. um, were you getting pushed to not do music professionally or was it just, where was that, where was that fear coming from?
2: I really wasn't getting pushed by any like external sources. You know, my dad was very successful but he never put any pressure on me to be successful. He, in my family, it was it was very much like do what you want to do, do what you love, and be happy in that way. Um, but I had it in my head that like I had to be successful. So, I mean, that's why I ha- I chose to study pre med and molecular biology because that like I knew that if I worked hard enough that I could be successful at it and that there was nothing actually holding me back except for myself. And I viewed music as I could be the most talented writer, artist in the world. And, and I could just, it could just not happen. Like it's a very, there's like this notion that it's like hit or miss and like, it doesn't matter how good you are. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. And I don't really believe that now um because because of the internet i think if you have something special that deserves to be heard it's going to get heard um but i i don't know it's like i i like just knew in my the only time i really thought i could like make it as an artist was like in middle school when i was messing around with like with danny and we were like making stuff and we were like this is so cool we could be artists like we could do it and in my head, I'm like, I want to be famous, you know? And then high school hit, and I was like, that's not how the world works. And college hit, and I, I wasn't making music to, like, to be a big artist. I was making music because uh, it really helped me, and I loved it. And I felt like I was doing something special. And people, you know, weren't even listening that early, but I just, like, kept working and kept – I had such an intense connection that I wanted to, like, to to chase that feeling and i kept writing better songs and i kept getting better production and slowly but surely people started listening um and it was like really 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 slow in the beginning and i i even still view it as slow because it's been six years since i released a song under my name and like it's been a completely like steady upward trajectory starting from like a hundred streams on SoundCloud like per song. It yeah, I don't know.
1: I mean it it's just definitely it's a slow process, even if you have a million streams and then you're expecting 10 million streams, you know, it's all just sort of uh, expectations and meeting expectations. When you have no expectations is one thing. If you want to be famous and you're only seeing a hundred streams, I imagine that seems slow. Mm-hmm Do you think that, you know, a lot of the lyrics talk about depression and internal battles and relationships in a sometimes in a toxic way? You know, Um, (laughs) I always assume that. You know, when you write a song a certain way that that, you know, if you're the artist, like most people, when you listen to an artist singing those songs, and that means that they actually feel that way. Uh, why are all the kids depressed?
2: <laughs> that one. It's weird. Like, that's the one song that I
0: didn't. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people
2: today. Now I did write, write that a bit from my perspective. So like <laughs> the, thing, the thing that inspired that song is I was living in a house my junior and senior year in college. And well, my junior year, I had three roommates and two of them were on antidepressants. And it was just, like, this crazy realization, like, a lot of it had to do with just the climate at my school, where it was very, very accepted to talk about mental illness and very accepted to talk about what medication you were on, um, if you were. So I just, like, became hyper-aware of all of these kids that were, like, really, really struggling, that looked really, really normal, and appeared and acted very, very normal, and it like it shook me because I was like I never like identified as somebody with depression or anxiety until I started thinking about like how many people are affected, and then I started thinking to myself, well, like is the way I feel normal like I know I'm not like the happiest person ever, but i but I can get out of bed in the morning, and I just started thinking like, well, maybe. I have nothing to compare my experience to, you know, just because I'm not, just because like I'm functional, doesn't mean I'm not dealing with something that's valid. So, so yeah, it was like that realization. And I was like, when I wrote the song, people weren't really talking. It was like the beginning of this movement of people starting to talk about um, like depression and anxiety and music. And I don't know. I just like, there, I had no reason to not be completely honest and literal about everything that I was saying. Like I was just exhausted by these people that like are pretending to be so happy all the time. And I was like, this is not real life. You are not actually this happy all the time. And,
1: is it unique yeah. to this generation or was it not diagnosed in other generations?
2: Um, I don't think it's unique to this generation. I think it's like part of the human condition um i think of it in like an <laughs> i'm such a nerd i think of it from an evolutionary perspective like whenever i think about anything in people like the way we act the way we behave like all of those are mechanisms that were evolved for because they were beneficial 10,000 years ago when we were like hunter gatherers in tribes and like trying to trust each other and and like trying to care for children and stuff so i think about like happiness isn't necessary for us to survive you just have to be happy enough you know so that's just one perspective one way of looking at it
1: did but you read sapiens i didn't know oh, that book is bananas you'll love that sapiens yeah is it is it about that whole thing yeah i mean it's you know it's about the history of human the human race um but it's generally about that. It's sort of how humans evolved from hunter, hunters and gatherers to agriculturists, agriculturalists. And then, you know, mm-hmm. through how that creates, you know, the ability to stay home instead of roam around. And the idea of this is mm-hmm. mine and this is, it starts to get into... You know, territory. Once you start realizing we can grow wheat here, then this becomes ours, mm-hmm. and you know we're and
2: that created wealth, and then wealth created power, yeah, and then power created society. Yeah, exactly.
1: I'm, I mean that that whole concept of even as a musician, like what's the purpose of us telling stories v- through song? Is it, it's, it's still like it's based in the idea of telling stories and trying to allow the rest of the tribe to relate or discuss and it helps them tell their offspring, you know, whatever, because they can sing that concept.
2: Mm -hmm. I really think as cliche as this is, like it's bringing people closer. Like that was something that was so important in evolution is like the family and caring for another and altruism and like raising your kids and keeping people close, keeping people keeping people trusting each other and music one million percent brings us closer. Like, yeah. On so many
1: levels. You know, not to keep going down, uh, this (laughs) rabbit hole, but you know, you're doing, you have to do so much social media and being a young musician who's getting their music out there now, you know, the conversations all the labels have are like, what's their TikTok presence? How many millions of followers? What's their engagement? Yeah, what's their engagement? And it's all about, you know, one one human, you have, you know, fourteen million monthly listeners or something like that on Spotify, which is an unnatural thing because it's you're supposed to be singing just to your tribe of two hundred people. Do you find that pressure to create music that all fourteen million people can enjoy? Does that weigh on you, or is it sort of no, I'm still writing for my two hundred and fifty people and other people are listening to it? So
2: I think the way I the way I view that in terms of making music is like, am I making music for myself or am I making it for everyone else? Because if I'm making music for myself, I'm not obviously not gonna care what people think. And but the truth is, if I'm truly in love with what I'm making and it's for myself, a lot of times, a lot of people love it because I think that's just the way that my taste aligns with, like the general consumers of music. Um, if I'm being completely honest, like my my mind state, it goes back and forth between who am I writing this for? Am I doing this for me? Am I or am I doing this for everyone else? And I what think
1: are you doing it for what. Who who are you doing it for?
2: Um, the longer I do this, like I'm I'm doing it for me. I can't like stomach the idea of making something that I'm not in love with because I think other people are going to love it, and that also just doesn't make sense to me, right? You know, um, but I, I've always like had this weird balance with my releases where I I'll have like. A couple crowd pleasers on a project or on an album and the rest of the songs will be like really really for me and the way that I've been able to like be okay with that I guess is still being very very proud of these crowd pleasers of these songs that I know are going to do really well because they're so like easy and digestible but like fresh and attractive and like and different so that's always been the hardest balance for me is like I know that everything that I do 100% of the time that I'm doing for me isn't going to be for everyone Um, but I know that I have like the ability to write a song that is for everyone I just if I'm going to do that it has to be in a way that it's also for me That's for all of us.
1: Did you get to tour much at all before quarantine? I mean, so much of the success has happened in the last, you know, year and a half, two years. You know, how much touring have you been able to do before the pandemic?
2: I've done a fair amount, but it doesn't feel like enough, especially because it's been so long without a tour. But I did a full tour. So while I was in college, my senior year, I was able to take like a couple weeks off and I opened for Lauv in Europe and I opened for a couple of dates in the U.S. with him. I graduated, did a full headline U.S. tour, a couple months later did a full headline Europe tour, did a couple festivals in Europe over the summer and then I did a full headline um, Asia tour which was crazy. So basically like I did the whole world except for um, well like the whole like easy touring world except for Australia. Um, and I was gearing up to basically do all of that again this year.
1: Does the pandemic uh, help you build your brand because you're able to just focus on songwriting and just focus on social media engagement?
2: Um, not really because I, I felt like I had so much work to do in the live setting and on the road. And everything that I've been doing has been like the social media stuff, the making music at home, the like de- developing my craft, like in the comfort of my own space. And going on tour was like very, very new for me, very different for me. I'm not like a super outgoing person. So, like, learning how to perform and how I want to express my music on stage was a massive challenge. And I feel like I only got like halfway there with this first round of touring. Do you think of yourself
1: as an introvert?
2: Um, for sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm in my head all the time, and I mean we all are. But like, I yeah, it's not. I'm not super outgoing. Like, it's not super easy for me to to like meet new people and like be myself in front of a completely new person. But I do love meeting people and I do love making friends. It's just it doesn't feel like super like natural to me. Like. I'm for yeah I'm not an extrovert at all
1: when you learn how to do production in you know your bedroom then dorm room how does somebody learn how to be a producer without somebody hands-on showing you well this is how you EQ this and this is how you compress this I mean did you just go on YouTube or is it just trial and error or how do you learn how to be a producer
2: that's the thing like yeah I never had a mentor to teach me stuff and I always wish that I did but YouTube helped me a lot I literally yeah I looked everything up online and the biggest thing is like listening to songs and things that you like and thinking to yourself well how do I think this person did this um and yeah it's really it's it's all about like sound selection and like making sure that like, there, there's conscious thought put into the selection of each track, each sound, each thing that gets added on. There's a purpose to it. And the hardest thing is just, like, is learning how to use your ears, I think. Because if you've never produced before, you'll realize, like, how often your ears fool you and how things aren't what they sound like. Uh, like, it's just a weird disconnect. You really have to, like, practice listening and the only way to really practice listening is to be like creating, I think.
1: Yeah, and then it also ends up cha- <laughs> it's like everyone around you who knows you well, once you start getting into listening to things, it's like uh, you can't be at a restaurant with a record going, you know, in the background without listening to that snare sound and bit like, man, yeah. snare sounds fire. <laughs> and trying to like, <laughs> under the table, reminding yourself to look up that song or whatever just so you can get that sound. Literally. For real.
2: Literally. I remember being like, um and like super young in fifth grade like in the car with my mom we'd be listening to a song and like I discovered like the equalizer on iTunes and I would be doing wonky stuff with it and I like realized I could bring out like the drum like the hi-hats and the cymbals and the drums by doing this thing and then I realized that like music was all these different parts like that was a realization for me (laughs) that I was split I'd be like mom like do you hear like the hi-hat do you hear the snare? She'd be like,
1: what are you talking about? Like, I just hear the song. Right. You know. Yeah. Typical. Um, wait, so you get you, you know, out of college, you start people start noticing your music, and you start getting, you know, SoundClouds doing what it does, and then you start releasing music kind of formally, at least on your own. Um, how soon was it? that you release music to when you know, you start getting introductions to record labels and you start getting introductions to the rest of the music industry?
2: So it was like 2015, I start releasing music on SoundCloud. It's getting a couple hundred, couple of thousand streams, mostly just word of mouth at college and friends. 2016, I start i release more music on soundcloud and then put that music on spotify and then i do this thing where i made music like release a new song every week for a whole month and like i made that a thing and i was telling everyone i was doing it it was all like all over my pages online and at the end of the month i had five songs and i put that into an ep and put that on um spotify and it took like two or three weeks, but like people start like online blogs started to sort of like catch wind of it, like super small independent blogs. And they'd be like, Oh, he's releasing a song every week. So then every week I'll get coverage. Then every week I would get a little more coverage. And like these YouTube pages would repost, would like post the songs on YouTube that had like 10,000 subscribers. And then it was like a hundred thousand subscribers. And then this one, blog called Swaggy Tracks started posting those songs and they had like a couple hundred thousand and then I was getting like really cool numbers like they would translate to SoundCloud and I'd be getting like 10,000 plays in the song and I'd be like this is insane and at the same time Spotify's Discover Weekly algorithm was like putting my music into people's Discover Weekly playlists and that's like actually how my career started was spotify and discover weekly people were just finding me through spotify like mostly soundcloud became irrelevant for me as soon as spotify started putting my songs into the algorithm um that was 2016 and then the summer the summer of 2017 i was going into my junior year of college and i put out my project motions and that was like, this is where I am musically. Like everything has led up to this moment. This is going to be my best project so far. I'm ready for a record deal. Is like what I thought in my head. And at the same time, my friend Danny, who had been like helping me throughout this whole process, literally since we were in sixth grade, um, he was interning for, cause he was studying music business at Syracuse and he was interning for looking for an internship at a record label and he reached out to Tyler Arnold at Republic Records, who's my now AR. our, he was like trying to get an internship from him. And he sent him my music. He's like, This is what I'm listening to. And he sent a couple of different stuff. And I was one of them. And I think Tyler didn't answer. And then like when I released this project Motions, he sent him motions. And Tyler was like, Who is this kid? What's his deal? Let's talk. And a couple months later he flew out to visit me at Colorado to like take me out to dinner and Danny came out too. He was like pseudo managing me at the time. And he's like, I love what you're doing. We want to sign you. And I was like, Holy crap. And at that point, like in 2016, when I was like doing all this SoundCloud, like song a week stuff that got enough attention that like small publishing companies were reaching out to like sign me as a songwriter, like APG reached. Well, I guess they're not small, but like, boutique apg reached out to sign me as a writer i was like i'm not a writer i'm an artist um a couple months later they reached out to sign me as an artist i was like i don't think i'm ready for this situation and then republic reached out and i sort of like yeah that was like my little tiny bidding war like i I for sure wasn't in the industry um but i signed and then we announced it going into my senior year and i just finished that last year of college and graduated
1: Do you define, uh, now can you define the difference between you as a writer versus you as an artist or are they still the same?
2: They're very much the same. Unless like you put me in a writing session for someone else, like I would be a writer in that moment. But I feel like everything that I do is very very, like cohesive and together.
1: Why did you not end up doing a publishing deal? (laughs)
2: Um, every time I'd read through a contract, I'd be like, this is a lot, <laughs> you know? And I knew that if I didn't, that like, cause I was getting uh, like offered publishing deals before I was making money from publishing. And I think a big factor is my dad's a lawyer. And so he would look through it and be like, this is ridiculous. Like this term is insane. You don't want to, you don't want to commit to this. And I was like, okay. I was a little upset. Cause I was like, dad, like, this is my shot. This is my only shot, but it obviously wasn't my only shot. Um, I just held out. Like it never felt like the right thing to do. And when I signed a record deal, I was like, damn, I am signing away like ownership of my masters. And that's a big deal. And the only real thing I have ownership with in my songs is the publishing and the songwriting. And why would I like, I need to have ownership of that. Like, I need, like, this is me. The music is me. Like, I need ownership of something.
1: Yeah, I think so, the argument on the you know, other side tends to be that, you know, it It and all depends on who your publisher is. They would become, you know, they can either become that mentor that you were saying with production that you didn't have, you know, that you could have on the songwriting side. Or they can help connect dots with, you know, with especially it, as you get into other collaborations and stuff R- republic is a, is amazing but also you know in theory they would help set up sessions and do all that kind of stuff it's a little different cuz you write a lot of 100% songs um but you know and maybe and they they can help you with you know licensing and things like that which is still something that publishers do best in in that world. Obviously, there are third party people who can do it, but
0: mm-hmm. that's sort
1: of the argument. There are always shitty deals everywhere, you know, no matter yeah. what it is. So, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm definitely not advocating going all like to all publishers, no matter what the deal is. Your dad's not wrong. Is your dad your music attorney, or is he just?
2: He's not. No, we have we have a music attorney, but he's he's very involved in yeah he has like a, a very good unbiased perspective
1: sure on, yeah on it's stuff. weird when outside attorneys look at the music industry cuz the music industry uh sort of uh, precedents are <laughs> are not crazy are, are, are pretty crazy. So there's always yeah. that opinion. Um, what do you think of for you? Like what, what is the next step for you? What is success to you? You've had a platinum record, you know, you have another a couple other songs that are going to become platinum soon. You know, it's, it's still pretty early on. What, what do you think is success?
2: Um, I mean, I, I look at it in two different ways. I feel like I'm so, I feel like I'm deeply conflicted about that because on one hand, like I'm always looking at my numbers and I'm like, I want to be doing more and I want to be bigger. But at the same time, I'm like, do I want to like, do I really want to be bigger or do I just like, it's like, it's like a hit. It's like a hit of dopamine. You know, I'm like, I want to feel better. Like every time I see more numbers, it feels better. So why wouldn't I want to keep seeing more and more? But there's obviously like a cap to that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I'm like, I know that I'm the happiest when I'm making things that I love. And so as cliche as this sounds, like I, I just want, I'll feel successful when I'm extremely proud of what I've done and what I've released. And I really don't want to feel dependent. I don't want to feel like my success depends I'm like the response to everyone because like on paper I'm extremely successful and I think it's so natural for everyone to like want more and want more and want more. And I don't want, I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to feel like I'm always wanting more. I want to be like happy and content and like happy where I am. And I'm always like, Oh, if I do this one thing, like I'll be content, <laughs> but it it's like a never ending cycle of, Of wanting more so yeah i don't know like right now it's like i've like it's weird because like i feel like my success got like fuck i mean everything got fucked up by the pandemic but like i was about to do like real tours off of my debut album and that was going to be a moment where i was going to be like this is insane this is crazy like how far i've come and instead I'm, I'm locked in my apartment for months and i'm like feel like i'm starting over because i put out an album and then i'm like well the only other thing i can do is write another album and i like missed out on so much closure like that first album love is not dying was so special to me like when like i cried my eyes out when it came out like now i was just in my room alone because we were doing like zoom parties and stuff and all the fan events and everything like just all online so yeah like i needed like real closure to like move on from that part of my life and tour really does that because you get to look at fans in the eyes and be like i see how this song has touched you and i see how this has affected you and it's just a whirlwind of like emotions and craziness then you get home and you're like wow life is so much different now and then you have so much to talk about and you have so much new perspective. And so like, I put out this album and then like I missed out on a whole like moment of closure and like, I'm trying to write again. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like it's, I'm like, I'm like so intense emotionally with writing and production and everything that it's like exhausting. And that's something that I'm like personally working through, but yeah, it was, it was, work? It was really that, hard.
1: To, I mean, isn't that where a lot of great music comes from? Why, why even try to suppress that?
2: At least for me, it's it's a little exhausting because, like, I sometimes I care so much. I mean, a lot of times I care so much that it like stifles me creatively, you know. And I want to feel. There are two sides. It's like on one side, songwriting is so, so fun. And like you're in a room in a session and like you're vibing and you don't even really like you're excited on the song and then you listen to it later and you're like, oh, this is shit. And then you feel shitty. Like I, like I have such high standards for myself and the things that I create that I get upset when like something isn't up to my standards, which are unreasonably high. So that's like the process that's hard on me when I'm so emotionally invested in what I'm doing. And so, yeah, lately I've just been really trying to, like, go way easier myself and take my time and, like, yeah. Because I'm, I'm making, like, a lot of things that I'm really excited about. It's just, like, the idea of, like, a whole album and, like, how incredible I want it to be.
1: I think there's, yeah, it's, there's also such a pressure for time in this generation. There used to be... I mean, the Beatles were releasing two albums a year, but they were in the beginning, but they were also doing covers on half their albums. You know, in the mm-hmm. beginning, you know, it's like there's now this weird pressure that you're supposed to create your best work very fast. And that's sort of a unnatural thing versus the idea of, you know, the pet sounds that takes a whole year to just record it. You know, which... You've done an album, and a year goes by pretty fast. But when you're trying to release a second album, I, you know, when you just released one in quarantine, it's it's a lot of pressure. Do you, do you find sure. co-writing? I mean, I know you've worked with Ricard and Rami, and shout out to those guys; those are good friends. But mm-hmm. you're you're doing some co-writing. Do you find that that helps to? Uh, have other people in the room in help you digest I- certain ideas.
2: A hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's really fun working with people. Except that I always, I feel like I can't get in touch with like the part, like the most honest part of me when I'm in a room. And a lot of times I'll have to like take what we did and and go home with it and like feel it out without any sort of other distraction. But. Yeah, it's really nice for like getting me out of my head and like having fun with it and like forgetting. Like, I just need to like to, m- like, my mind is very like o- overactive in terms of like worrying about. Um, I just like, I just want to be so good, you know, like, I'm like, I'm just extremely competitive with myself, I think is what it is. So. Yeah, but it is, it's a lot of fun, um, like working with producers and writers, because everyone has their own really interesting way of looking at it. And you get like such an interesting combination of like energies when you're working with
1: people. Yeah, you're able to look at their skill set and their techniques. And sometimes you can take from them and realize, oh, that's really interesting. That's how you do melodies, or that's how you do lyrics, or that's how you do, you know, what, what, mm-hmm. obviously production. Um, Going to our uh, this next segment, I'm going to list a, uh, a, a few of your collaborators so you can kind of tell me about them because we call this next section Five for Five. Let's start with Chelsea Cutler. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you just want me to go? <laughs> go. Okay. Everything that I said about collaboration before doesn't apply with Chelsea. In the sense of like, I really feel like myself when I'm writing with Chelsea. I feel like myself musically. We The first time we wrote a song together, it was like our second or third time hanging out. I'm in this cabin in Connecticut. Chelsea pulls up on the last day. It's like a little studio in there. And she sits down, picks up a guitar, starts playing a riff. I turn to her. I'm like, what is that? She's like, I don't know. I just made it. I was like, that's a song. Let's write it. And we wrote our song Better Off, which is, like, in both of our, like, top tens. And one of my favorite songs I've ever worked on. And the second time we hung out to make music was a year later at the same cabin. We decided to go together and, like, book out time there. And one of the first songs we wrote was You Were Good To Me. And she sat at the piano and just played that riff. And I was like, that's the song? And we wrote it. Like, it was... It's so incredibly easy with her, because she compliments everything that I feel like I'm not great at, and she'll sit down and like, just be completely free and like play anything, and like doesn't think about it, and I get to be like the objective person in the background that's like, like that, that's special, or that's not, or that's not quite there, or change this a little bit. And we record it together. And I get to like zero in and do the thing that I think I do best, which is like being very precise with like production and writing and melody and like stitching it all together. And yeah, it's, it's always a really fun process. And so that was when we did Brent and we actually just finished recording um, Brent 2, which is we basically went up to a different cabin and, and did the same thing except tried to do it way better.
1: How did you guys become this weird sort of writing team? What is that? Like, where does that come from? Where did you guys meet?
2: Um, It's funny. We met. I got, like, in college when I was a sophomore, I got flown out to University of Connecticut to do, like, this frat party and perform. And at the time, I knew who she was because we were talking on SoundCloud because she was posting, like, really cool acoustic covers. And I walk off stage and she's like back there. And she's like, Hey, Jeremy. I'm like, Hey, She's like, I'm Chelsea Cutler. I was like, Whoa, sick. Like, nice to meet you. I had no idea she was going to be there. She didn't even go to university of Connecticut. She was visiting a friend and they ended up at this party. And I just happened to be playing at this party on a random weekend when I should have been in school, in Colorado. And that's how we met. Um, at the time I was like, just starting talking to Jesse, who's my manager. Um, he wasn't managing me yet. And then a couple months later, she signed to him before I, I even signed to him. And I knew that I was going to sign to him. I just didn't know when it was going to happen. But yeah, we got signed under the same management. And now we're on the same record label and we have the same A&R. Um, it's funny because like we're so different. We're such different people. Our music tastes are so different. Our like our careers like the type of music that we see ourselves making is pretty different but when we get together and write music it's like this completely different thing
1: totally black bear
2: black bear i've never met him i've still never even met black bear in person Largely because I don't realize not that when in, people
1: feature on records, if you don't know the industry, a lot of times you're sending a track, they're in a studio, they'll feature on it, you know, and they'll you'll you know, you'll email back and forth, but it doesn't mean that you meet them all the time. So do you, yeah. you guys have a good relationship though?
2: Yeah, he's super nice. Yeah. He's super nice. Um it was a really he was like one of my favorite artists in college and like definitely inspired my early stuff. Um but Yeah, I like he remixed one of my songs for his album Digital Drug Lord, and then in the deal that we did for that, like he basically made his own song to my instrumental. And the deal we did for that, I got him to feature on my song Talks Overrated, and yeah, we just like kept in super loose touch since then. Um, I feel like if I like was in LA normally, we would have hung out, but
1: yeah. What about B Miller?
2: B. Miller is super sweet. Obviously, she's on the remix of Come Through. Um, trying to think. We, that was like a very label orchestrated thing, um, as remixes sort of tend to be. You, you do a song, it does well. The label's like, we want a remix. We'll boost stream numbers. I'm like, ugh, okay. Um, and then so we were thinking of people, thinking of people. And I was a really big fan of B. Stuff. And I just thought she would be perfect on it. She was like really cool, like in the perfect lane to sort of like cross over from this like acoustic vibey pop song. Um, So we brought her into the studio, wrote her part together. She crushed the vocals. Her voice is incredible. Um, And it came out super easy, super fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah. She's an incredibly cool person. Uh Mm Mm-hmm. Your most recent one, Claire Rosencrantz, with that like kind of hopping. This is sort of opposite. I mean, the song has been killing it, and now you're on it. What's that about, Backyard Boy?
2: Really interesting story. Um, so, six months ago, my friend sends me a playlist, and Backyard Boy is on it. I'd never heard it before, it had very few streams, and I was just listening. It was funny, the playlist was all like super old, really weird music. And I was listening through and then this song comes on. And I was like, this is hot. And I hit him up. I was like, what is this song? Like, I love it. And he's like, this is my cousin, Claire.
1: Hmm.
2: And I was like, sick that she's your cousin. That's awesome. This song is great. And about a month later, she he hits me up and he's like, the song is starting to pop on TikTok. And his name's Sage. He was like, You know, my cousin is starting to talk to labels. We know that you're on Republic. Like, would you want to talk to her and give her some advice? And I basically talked her through what it was like being with Republic and being on a label. And like helped her sort of figure out what it is she wanted from a potential deal. And a couple weeks later, she signed with my label, Republic. A couple weeks later, her team hits me up. They're like, hey, do you want to be in the remix? I was like, hell yeah, this is perfect. And the, the song is just so fun and I'm like I feel like I I take myself so seriously. That's what I'm that's like the point I've been trying to get across with like all this like mind games with me and music It's like I just want to take myself less seriously. I just want to have more fun. Um so yeah. That and that was like a great opportunity to do that. And it was so
1: much fun. Last collaborator, Republic Records.
2: <laughs> oh, that's the collaborator label? Yeah. Republic's been awesome. They're so, they're so competitive, um, which works out very well for me. I like, I do my own thing. And then when we put it out, they just push it super hard. Um, when I signed it, it was really interesting because when I signed, like, I feel like normally when they sign artists, it's like, go, go, go. But when I signed, I still had a year left of college. And the plan was like, take your time, make music. When you when you graduate, then we're ready to go, and it just worked out so perfectly. Um, yeah, they've been awesome so far. They like internationally. My music has been really really good. I mean, I I was able to tour like Southeast Asia by myself for the first time, and I was doing I did like fifteen hundred tickets in South Korea, and that was just like such a wild experience. Like, and I do I do owe a lot of that to. Republic and Universal and the International Marketing Department. Shouts to Zoe. Um but yeah. It's they're they're awesome.
1: Um last question. Um do you have any personal life? Do you have any time to be somebody in their twenties that's not working on music?
2: Um when it's not a pandemic, hundred yeah. percent. But um Yeah. I mean, I, I live with two of my best friends and we hang out a lot, obviously, and we do fun stuff. I get to come out here every once in a while. I have a bunch of friends out here. We do fun things. I for sure have a personal life. Um, and the the deeper and deeper I get into the industry, the more necessary it is for me to have a fulfilling personal life because yeah, the more I do this, the more I realize, like, I don't want this to be my, my whole life. Like, and I feel really really lucky because there are so many other things that I'm interested in. And also like in the future there's so many things that I could see myself doing with my life and it's not just music. Like what? So um okay, well I'm super into film. Um I like sort of directed some of my videos. I could for sure see myself doing that. I could see myself doing creative direction for an artist. I could see myself being a mix engineer if I wanted to. Um yeah, I wouldn't ever like It would it would be creative. I I can never do like something I can never go back to science and like think about doing that. That would just that would crush me.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for doing this. You know, we talked before we even started this, that you know, for for me to get to interview somebody who listened to the podcast, you know, before (laughs) they got you know, before we even found out that they would want to do the podcast, like it's cool that, mm-hmm. that, uh, you see this full circle moment of why we do this. And, um, so that's awesome on a personal level, but you know, it's always really important for our industry to learn about who the next people are if we're going to move our industry forward in any capacity and to communicate with each other and make the, you know, continue to extend a a warm hand hug to all the, you know, the up-and-coming artists. And it's it's hard to call somebody who's a platinum artist up-and-coming, but <laughs> I just know that, you know the next time you are able to tour, you're going to see how significant those albums have been and that they aren't just numbers and no numbers on your phone are going to make any difference when you're in front of, it doesn't matter if it's 200 people or 20,000 people, all that's going to feel much more real and it'll give you an authentic taste of how successful you've already become. You just have to stay patient and get through it and, uh, I'm excited to see what happens next for you. Thanks so much, Ross. Yeah, man. There you go. This was
2: awesome. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And The Writer Is is produced by Joe London and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silberstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golan.